Okay, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this evening, Matthew 9. Um, what we're doing, I don't know if you guys have caught uh, wind of this, is we're founding a church. <laughs> like, there wasn't a church, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of people gathering together, and we're trying to figure out what is this church to be about. So we're going through this series on our core values. We have 10 of them. Uh, in theory, the, some of you guys have bookmarks with the 10 core values on them. We've ran out of those bookmarks. We're going to get some more. But um, what we're doing is we're looking at these values because these are the ways that we're going to make decisions about what to, what to do in the church, what direction to go in the church. These are also the values that we're gonna use to define our success as a church. Um, It's very important for a church to know, laser-focused, what are we about? What are we headed towards? And how do we know that this church thing that we're doing is actually successful? Now, um, the values, some of them are in some kind of order, and some of them really do build on each other. And that is certainly true for this evening. So, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be, and we're going to look at verse 35. Let's, uh, let's read. It says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I want you to close your eyes for, for a second with me, and I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that Jesus <laughs> walked in through those back doors, and he came to our church this evening. Maybe he looks like all the pictures that you've seen from the Renaissance. He's got his robe on, long hair. What would he do? Think about it for a moment. If he walked into this room, what do you think he would do? What would you imagine him doing? And imagine that he then said, he got up on stage and he said to all of us, I'm going to come back every week. What would you expect? Could you imagine that? Every week. Okay, Jesus is going to be at my church this week. What would you start to imagine? He's like, oh, who's going to get healed tonight? He'll probably like take us over to Friends View and he's going to raise somebody from the dead. It's like he's probably going to do something crazy. What would he do? I would imagine that every one of us would be coming to church thinking, what could happen tonight? You just never know. You can open your eyes. Our fifth value as a church is that nothing is impossible. We live under open heavens, and healing is for today. Um, My wife and I, we have been working at church for about six years in Portland, and we had um, this conference happen called the Holy Spirit Conference like two years ago, or two and a half years ago or something like that. And I I remember when it first was announced, both of us were like, what? (laughs) 
Holy Spirit Conference? What is that? Can we come up with a better name than just Holy Spirit Conference? And I've, I've shared this last week, but um, we were kind of skeptical of any uh, sort of like Holy Spirit stuff detached from the sweetness of his presence. So we're like, anybody that would talk about the Holy Spirit is like this carnival ride, like, hey, you got to get on the spirit ride, bro. It's amazing. We're like, no, I don't think so. Not for us. But each night, I remember this conference, each night of the conference, just amazing things happened. You, you, you just like, people got healed of stuff that were, there was, there was a gal in our church who, who her back was like completely out of whack, had surgery on it, and her back was completely made whole, like no more pain. She was an elderly lady in our church. And he had this one guy, he had like leukemia, and it went into remission after that conference. You're just like, what, how does this happen? What, what happened? And I remember after that conference, just looking at Emily, and we're like, church will never be the same for us. And I go to a lot of church. (laughs) Like, I go to a lot of church. And I remember we had gotten to this point in our lives right before that conference where we're just like, ah, Sunday's here again. Ah, I'm not feeling too well. I just, I don't know if I can go to church Oh, man, I don't want to go to church. It's so boring. You just listen to a message, and there's music. And how many of you guys understand that messages and music get old? If all you come here to hear is me talking for Jake to lead worship, it's going to get old. And so I remember just thinking, oh, and after this conference, we couldn't wait to go to church. We'd be like, oh, Sunday's coming. And we'd talk about it. We'd be like, oh, what's going to happen tonight? I bet, oh, somebody's going to get healed. I bet somebody's going to come to Christ, and we're going to witness it. It's going to happen in our church. We were excited. The passage that we just read from is part of this larger section in chapter 9. And chapter 9 is this stunning moment in the life of Jesus. It's sort of like when LeBron James goes into the NBA Finals, and you're like, I will never watch anybody better at basketball than this guy right here, right now. It's like Jesus goes LeBron James mode, and he's just healing people, and he's casting out demons, and he's raising people from the dead, just amazing stuff. And Matthew actually ends this section with Jesus essentially saying, hey, look, the harvest is so plentiful, we're going to need more people. And as I thought about our value, nothing is impossible, I couldn't help but see this chapter as super provocative. Super provocative. The the author, Matthew, is really challenging us to witness Jesus fully bringing the kingdom. And he's like, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? He's saying, look, the heavens are open, and where Jesus goes, anything can happen. Do you want it? So um, a little bit different this week uh, than the previous weeks. I think there are really three quotes throughout chapter 9 that encompass this value for us. And the first quote is this. They praised God who had given such authority to man. Look down at your Bibles, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It says this. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. You would think that they would have witnessed Jesus do this, and they would have been in awe of God, and then praised God, period. But whose authority are they excited about? Whose authority, who has the authority? The authority given to man. Isn't that interesting? The crowds are in awe of the authority that God had given to humanity. Hmm. Philippians chapter 2 says this, one of my favorite passages. We talked about it the past uh, couple weeks. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus was a human, and he was God, but we see evidence of his humanity in that he laid aside his superpowers in order to live a fully human life here on earth. It's almost like this, like God has an all-access pass to the universe. He can do anything he wants whenever he wants with this pass. And when Jesus came to earth, he took that pass, he laid it down on his bedside table in heaven, and he came to earth to live as a man. My professor um, in seminary, Gary Brashears, he uses this example. He's like, it would be like if Usain Bolt went to like a uh, company picnic. I don't know if he works for a company, he probably doesn't. But it'd be like if he went to a company picnic where the fathers of the, at the company were encouraged to run with their sons in like a father-son race. You guys understand that Usain Bolt would totally win the race. He would, all he would have to do is just pick up his son and just run, right? And he'd win the race. But how many of you guys understand that he wouldn't do that? He would only run how fast? As fast as his son. Okay, we're going here. Okay, here we go. See, Jesus didn't do things by his power, but he demonstrates a life dependent on the power of the Spirit. Why? Why? So that we could get a vision for what is possible in our lives as well. And, and the response of the people is just amazing. Wow, look at how God would give such authority to humans like us. Amazing. You know, some have thought that Jesus came to earth, did a bunch of really cool tricks in order to get people to follow him. But that completely ignores the purpose behind the miraculous. You see, Jesus rarely proclaims the kingdom of God without the miraculous being close by. Um, it was often sort of this show and then tell sort of ministry that we see with Jesus where he does something miraculous and then he says, let me tell you about the kingdom because this is how the kingdom functions. And so he heals somebody, he raises somebody from the dead, he, he does whatever and he says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In fact, when he sends his disciples out, he says to them, proclaim the kingdom, how? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the demonic. Amazing stuff. Healing for Jesus, they aren't, they're not isolated incidents like, boom, told you I'm God, so follow me. They're intended to express and bring the kingdom life that was possible when heaven invades earth. Whenever you see Jesus healing, he's describing what heaven invading earth looks like in the physical. 
So when you think about the kingdom, like what is the kingdom of God? Well, very simply put, the kingdom is where God's will is done on earth. It's heaven on earth. And if you remember, something that we've talked about um, at the church is that Jesus is perfect theology. You guys remember that? Some nods would be helpful. Uh, Jesus is perfect theology. So when you look at Jesus, what are you getting? You're getting a glimpse of the Father. If you want to know what the Father's will is like, you look to Jesus, because he perfectly represents the Father. So Jesus proclaims the kingdom. In other words, this is God's will, that you be healed. Then he demonstrates it with healing. So does God want to heal people? Well, from the Gospels, yes. Not only that, here's a little bit more evidence. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's the problem. For most of us, when we think about what it means to be saved, we think it means coming to a knowledge of the truth. But it doesn't say God wants all, to be, all people to be saved by coming to a knowledge of the truth, does it? It says God wants to be all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that fascinating? Why would it be and to come to a knowledge of the truth? Here's why. Because the word saved there in Greek is sozo. Has anybody heard the word sozo before? You're familiar with it? Some of the charismatics in the room are like, sozo, had one last week. Um, the word sozo um, is this really amazing word that, that encompasses a lot of different things. It means saved, healed, and delivered. All in one word. To be saved, to be healed, and to be delivered from the demonic. All encapsulated in this one word, sozo. So, so think about what this passage could say. God wants all people to be saved, healed, and delivered, and come to a knowledge of the truth. What a good God. Jesus is demonstrating God's will through healing, raising from the dead, and casting out the demonic. Now, if we're to become like our rabbi, oh, some of you guys know where I'm going with this, if we're to become like our rabbi, then I don't want us to be a church where there's kingdom proclamation without kingdom demonstration. I want to express with my life the words of Jesus and of the kingdom, but I also want to express with my life God's will to heal in the physical, God's will to cleanse the demonic, to bring peace to people's minds and hearts in the physical. Now, this could sound a little daunting, right? You're like, uh, healing? Me? <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. And uh, isn't that something that like pastors do? That's like your job, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> you are the saints being equipped for what? For ministry. What is ministry? The reconciliation of heaven and earth. The New Testament teaches us that healing happens, period. And that God wants it to happen, Jesus even told us, hey, expect that it will happen through your lives. But we need to get some myths about healing out of our minds and get some truth about healing into our minds first. So, a couple myths. Who does the healing? Who does the healing? Realizing that God is the one who heals people and is completely able to do it through you takes the burden off of my shoulders to somehow make this healing happen. It's not my job. Uh, like four years ago or so, there was this uh, young guy who came to our church, um, and he had a broken wrist. He had like a cast on it and everything. And he had traveled from Sisters, Oregon, to our church because he heard that people had been getting healed at our church. So he showed up. He's like, I just felt like I was supposed to come tonight. 
And I'm like, I don't even know if God heals, man. You came to like the worst guy. So I'm sitting there with him, and uh, he's like, he's like, yeah. So here's how it happened. He's telling me all this stuff, and I'm just thinking, uh, well, I hope you at least it just encourages heart, God, because I don't know if you're going to heal him. So um, anyway, so I'm like, okay, well, l- let's pray. And I prayed the least faith-filled prayer I've ever prayed in my life. I was like, so like, if you want to, maybe heal him, I guess. I was like, uh, if maybe, and uh, I go, okay, so like, did you feel anything? Like, I don't know, are you supposed to feel something? He's like, he's like, huh. Oh, I haven't been able to do fully close my hand for a while. So that, that's pretty cool. I'm thinking, I'm like, what? <laughs> are you serious? I was way more shocked than he was. He's like, no, yeah, that's oh yeah, man, this is cool. I'm like, what? Really? And so I'm like, okay, well, it's probably going to go away. So here's the deal. What I need you to do is I'm going to write my email address down, and I need you to send me an email later this week if it still is okay, all right? Because my mind was just blown. And he's like, he's like, yeah, okay, okay. So I get an email from him a week later. Yeah, my wrist is totally fine. I'm like, what? That was my worst prayer. And a couple, a year later, I'm in a seminary class, and this guy comes up to me and says, hey, are you Alex uh, from Bridgetown? I'm like, yeah. He's like, there was a guy, I don't know if you remember him, about a year ago, who came from our church to your church because he had a broken wrist. It was completely healed, man. It's changed his life forever. He understands God good, God's goodness in an entirely different way. I was just like, what? Healing is not dependent on me. It's not dependent on you. We act as bridges. But is healing dependent on faith? Is healing dependent on faith? Well, um, how much faith did Lazarus have when he was uh, raised to life? (laughs) Probably not not much, right? He's dead, so did he have any faith? No. But, you know, there is this very awkward thing. I wish we could leave it there. There is this awkward thing where faith does play a role. It says this in Matthew chapter 13. And he, being Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Isn't that interesting? See, there is a correlation between faith and outcome, but the beauty of that is that God is just wanting to partner. He wants to include us in the equation of healing. And here's the thing. What I found is that he'll take faith wherever he can find it. Oftentimes, if we're praying for somebody who needs healing, we're like, Who's, who are the people who have great faith? Come and pray with us. Come and add your faith to this, because I'm not sure that I have any faith for this, right? And, and what we need to realize is that he's not like, hey, unless that person has a lot of faith, they're not going to be healed. No, he'll just take anybody's faith. He's like, do you have faith for this? Awesome. Faith honors God. We're going to talk a little bit more about faith, but faith is so important. Next, is healing hard? Is healing hard? Well, healing is only hard if you're the one doing it, right? And you're not the one who's doing the healing. Your job is to simply say, God, take what's going on in heaven and have it happen here on earth. That's our will. That's our desire. So how do we actually pray for healing? Once you have some of these uh, myths settled, and it's, it's important to believe correctly that God wants to heal, that God is able to heal, that your prayer isn't what does the healing, and that you simply get to just trust in his character. 1 Timothy 2.4 has become a really important verse for me. I don't need to wonder when somebody comes to me if God wants to heal them. I know his will is that all people would be saved, healed, and delivered. It's also important, though, when we do pray for healing, 
that we focus on what is in heaven rather than becoming mesmerized by the lack that is in front of us. If somebody comes up to me and they say, hey, um, I have a ton of back pain. I've had it for 15 years. It's chronic. I've never been free from this back pain, and it just totally has locked up my life. If all that I do in that moment is, oh my gosh, 15 years? Chronic? Oh, it, it, their, their whole life has been changed because of this. Okay, maybe heal them. Because when you focus on lack, you get lack. Why is that? Because when you focus on lack, what you're doing is you're choosing to not focus on his abundance. And when you choose to not focus on his abundance, you've made a choice in your life where to level off. You've made a choice in your life where to say, you know, I'm not really sure that you're actually good enough to do this. I'm not really sure that you have this person's best interest in mind. So when we pray for somebody, here's what we do. We, said, we say, Jesus, you said to pray on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, this back issue doesn't exist. And so we just ask that you would take that reality in heaven and that you would bring that to earth physically through the person in front of me. On earth as it is in heaven. So oftentimes we pray a couple times for people. We say, test it out. And it's totally, it, it, I think Jesus prayed, he, at one point he prayed twice. We can probably pray two, three, four times. That's okay. And so we just, we just kind of, it's relationship. We, we, we meet with the person in front of us, make sure that they get loved by God, and we ask that heaven would come to earth. All right, second quote. Second quote is this, but they laughed at him. Verse 18, it says this in chapter nine. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. <clears throat> but they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. You know, the reality is that if you choose to live and to believe like Jesus, you will look like a fool. You will. For many years, the church um, has believed that its success in a culture that was becoming increasingly less Christian was to become cooler. If we can just be cooler, then we'll get the attention of the culture around us as if becoming more relevant uh, to the culture by using the same modes and music styles and methods without compromising our belief would become attractive. <clears throat> and the result um, hasn't really been that the culture has been wowed with the church. If anything, it actually seems that the culture has become more skeptical of the church. Like, are you trying to trick us into something, or what are you doing there? It turns out that people actually don't want more of what they already have with just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in. They want whole life transformation or nothing at all. And the truth is, is that it is very hard to be considered cool by people who don't follow Jesus when you do. 
And my life tends to be like a living example of this. So um, <laughs> I've shared this story a number of times, but um, gosh, it's like two or three years ago, two years ago or so, I used to belong to this gym in Portland, this rock climbing gym, and um, they had a sauna. It was like one of the things that drew me to the gym. It's like, I could sit in a sauna? That's amazing. I'm, I want to sit in a sauna. So I go to this gym all the time, and after my workout, I go sit in the sauna. It's just part of my ritual. And um, I, I was, at one point, I'm sitting in the sauna, and you know, I'm not trying to get graphic or anything, but you just have a towel on in the sauna. That's all that you have on in the sauna. So I got my towel on, and I'm sitting there, and this guy walks in, and he sits down on the bench next to me. And I start, I'm like, I want heaven to come, not, not outside of all saunas, but also in saunas as well. So I start asking the Lord, I'm like, what do you want to say to this guy? Do you want to say anything to this guy? I'm like... I'm going to take a risk here because, you know, John Wimber says risk, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. So I'm going to take a risk and, 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 and do this, right? So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, Lord, is there anything you want to bring to mind about this guy? And all I see in my head is an image of a shaggy dog, like a cute one, you know, like uh, a nice, fluffy, shaggy dog. And I think, that's kind of weird. I'm like, you know, if I had something else, I'm like, I, I'm like tr trying to run it in my head, the scenario. I'm like, so I share that I see a shaggy dog in my head with this guy, but then what? Like, what do I say, you know? And so, but I'm going, you know what? No, I'm going to walk in faith, and I'm going to risk. So I'm like, mind you, in my towel. I look over at this guy. I'm like, hey, so uh, does, a, does a shaggy dog mean anything to you? <laughs> That's the opener. Not like, what's your name? I'm like, does a shaggy dog mean anything to you? And he's like, nope. I'm like, this is worst case scenario. How do I pull up? I'm like, if I'd ask, like, oh, you look like a Brian. Is your name Brian? Oh, sorry, you look like somebody I used to know. There's no pulling up out of, do you, does a shaggy dog mean anything to you? So I'm like, oh, gosh. I'm, he's like, why do you ask? I'm like, oh, well, uh, I'm like, you know, uh, well, have you ever wanted a dog? <laughs> He's like, yes, everybody in Portland wants a dog. I'm like, yeah, did you, have you, have, have you had a dog recently who passed away? I'm thinking, oh, maybe the Lord wants to like meet him in this tender place. He's like, nope. I'm like, oh my gosh. He's like, what, what is this all about? And I'm like, well, oh gosh, uh, I am a Christian and <laughs> I follow Jesus and I think he speaks to me and so I thought maybe he wanted to say something to you about a dog. He's like, nope, that's weird. I'm like, oh. So I remember I like walk out of the sauna. I'm like, Lord, I am totally trying to risk here. I am like trying to walk in faith and you're leaving me out to dry in a towel in the sauna. And I go to the shower and I turn the shower on and I'm just really letting the Lord have it. I'm going, you really hung me out to dry there. It's like, what was that about? And he, I will never forget this thought. This is how the Lord often speaks to me. Just a thought comes into my mind. I go, oh, that's not my thought. And it comes into my mind and it's just, I thought you said that you'd be a fool for me. And I was like, oh yeah. Not everybody has made this commitment, but when I was 18 years old, I remember saying, I want to be foolish for you. If it means on the other side of my foolishness I see the kingdom, I'll be a fool for you. And I remember I, wa I, I thought, oh, so humbled, like, yes, I did say that I would be a fool for you. See, pursuing the works of the kingdom will always put to test your hunger for God to move versus your fear of man. Always. 
I remember another time in that same gym, there was a gal uh, who had a large tattoo on her forearm who worked there, and she was at the front desk one day. And the Lord, um, as I was checking in, um, he said, go interpret her tattoo to her. And I'm like, I don't even know what her tattoo is. Like, I've never interpreted interpret her tattoo. What are you talking about? So I go to, the, to get changed, and I'm just avoiding it. I'm looking over there. I'm like, there's a bunch of other people over there. Like, if I go over there and I say, like, hey, can I ter- interpret your tattoo? Everybody's going to be like, what? So I'm like, ah, so I disobey. So for two weeks, every time I go to the gym, I'm thinking, please don't be at the front desk because I'll feel so convicted, like I got to talk to this girl. So, so I, I kept trying to avoid her. Finally, two weeks later, it goes by, and I'm just like, okay, I'm, today's the day. I walk in there, and there she is, all by herself, the grace of God. I'm like, I only have to look dumb in front of one person. And she's standing there, and there she is with her tattoo. And I walk up to her, and I'm like, can I interpret that tattoo for you? And she's like, uh, yeah. So I'm like, okay, let me see it. It's a big tattoo of a lion. And instantly the Lord says, tell her that I'm the lion in her life who's fighting her battle so she can rest. I'm like, it sounds kind of Bible-y, all right. So I was like, I tell her, I, say, I said, God wants you to know that he's the lion in your life who's fighting your battle so that you can rest. Just instantly, just crying. Like, you have no idea what I'm going through and how much that means to me. The challenge for me is, am I more hungry for God to move than for me to maintain a cool reputation? These passages that we've been reading are full of hungry people. You have this woman who is like, I'll do anything just to touch him. You have this synagogue leader who's like, I'm not supposed to talk to Jesus, but I I have this issue. Eventually, we're going to read about these, these blind men who call out all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is what we call spiritual hunger. There is this amazing juxtaposition in this passage. On the one side, you have a woman who is out of options. She's unclean. She's illegally touching a man just to take a chance. And on the other side, you have a group of people laughing at Jesus' faith. How many of you guys understand there was something different about her touch than everyone else's touch in that crowd? He's getting bumped up against, he's walking through a crowd of people, touched by many people, but there was something about her touch that gets his attention. Hunger gets the attention of God. Have you ever been in a room full of people, a bunch of people are having different conversations, and somebody speaks up to tell a story, and they quickly realize nobody's paying attention to their story, and so they're like, okay, you ever been there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is you all the time. I'm sorry about that, Em. Um, <laughs> so listen to her stories, guys. Gosh. No, but you're in a room, and it's like, and, and all of a sudden, somebody's like, oh, uh, oh, this one thing happened to me one time, and, and nobody's paying attention, but what happens? If you get out of your seat, and you move seats to get closer, and you're like, wait, what happened? Tell me about it. Their eyes light up, and they tell you the story. Because we're in relationship with God, hunger has the same effect with God. He goes where he's desired. Oh, you're hungry for me? Okay, sweet, we're in the zone. 
I say this with all reverence, but it almost seems that this woman's hunger received a response from Jesus that he never gave permission to release. She never asked. Hunger doesn't ask. Hunger just exists. She's like, I just think maybe I'll be healed if I just reach out and touch him. And the beautiful part is that God's okay with that. Many have thought that the Christian life is all about taking the love and the grace and the empowerment that Jesus poured out on the cross. And you get like one tank full of it. And so you better do something with that in your life or else. As though you're like depleting the grace tank or the empowerment tank every time you mess up. But I think that God's a better father than that. I think he's a good father who has power, love, peace, empowerment for every season that we may find ourselves in. Look, either you owe God for what he did on the cross, or you confess that he has the resources and the heart to generously give you what you need regardless of how much you needed last month. One of those is true. Either he has an abundance or you drain heaven's resources. And often our level of hunger reflects which we believe because we tend to not hunger for the things of God that we don't believe are available to us. Oh, that's probably not available to me. I'm not gonna be hungry for it. But our hunger, when we do get spiritually hungry for God to move in our lives, it has the ability to bring his kingdom into our lives, his purposes and his plans into our lives. God is looking for places in your life to fill with himself. He's searching for it, and our hunger reveals that. So are you hungry? We want to be a church that is more hungry for what God has for us than fears what people in Newburgh may say about us. Lastly, the last quote, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Verse 27 As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Eugene Peterson says this, one of my favorite quotes. He says, I don't just believe that the Bible is true. I believe it's livable. Do you believe it's true and livable or just true? I don't believe the Bible is just true. I believe it's livable. There will always exist the challenge to not let my experience shape my theology more than what the scriptures say. 
The kingdom coming to earth is not what most people would call normal. What we've been talking about tonight is not what most people call normal. In fact, many of you in this room, as I've begun to talk about us healing and us praying for people to get well, um, doing the same things that Jesus did, maybe you've gotten a little bit nervous even. Um, And you've given maybe some internal reasons for why we can't expect that. That's okay. But Jesus was convinced that the heavens were open and invading earth, and as the people of God, that our belief must match the harvest potential. The harvest is plentiful, where's your belief at? Jesus even says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send more people. That's how much kingdom he wants to bring. But I think that many disciples of Jesus uh, today have bought into the more dominant cultural feeling that the harvest isn't plentiful, that people are leaving the church, that 50% of millennials walk away from their faith. We more, this passage to us today in the church would be more read like this. Hey guys, the harvest isn't really there right now like it's been in the past. Secularism, unbelief has taken hold of your world, and uh, nothing's really going to change. Um, so maybe just pray that the soil softens a little bit and just try to be faithful. But if we've believed that, then we have not believed what Jesus told us about the harvest. Could it be that Jesus sees a harvest where we often don't? See, I wonder if we have allowed culture to convince us that we don't really need workers. The church, you don't need workers. We're not gonna listen to you guys anyways. And that the church should really just be spectators who come to think about Jesus but don't bank on him showing up in power. It's cool if you do that whole thing, you wanna make some Christian rock albums and listen to some podcasts, that's fine. But please don't bring like this Jesus power stuff into our world and we go, oh really? Oh, um, okay, we're sorry. Um, Yeah, the harvest isn't actually as plentiful as it was and it's just kind of hard soil right now. Could it be instead that the church isn't actually demonstrating a lifestyle that's desirable? Does our lifestyle as the church offer hope, direction, or possibility, or does it just look like everybody else's lifestyle? See, see, here's the thing. We're the people who are filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It says that in the Bible. We're the people who have the same power that Jesus walked the earth with. It says that in the scriptures. We're the people who carry the same anointing that the disciples had in the book of Acts. And do you know what the culture around the disciples said about them in the book of Acts? They've turned the world upside down. See, we want Saints Hill Church to become a place where what is currently very abnormal becomes very normal. In fact, beyond just our church, we want Newburgh to become synonymous with a move of God. We believe that, I mean, we have, I was just reading them today with Jake in my office, we have just an entire list of prophetic words about our church and about the city of Newburgh, and we feed ourselves on those words. God has spoken, we're choosing, regardless of what we see around us, to believe what he has said. That's our role as followers of Jesus, as believers. That's our, we're supposed to believe something, right? 
So we want our church to be known for healing, for people coming and receiving prophetic uh, calling and destiny over their lives. We, we want people to come into our church and really feel the presence of God. We want this to be a place where demons must go and people's minds, their mental health is made better in a moment. But I recognize that in a room uh, this size, there are some of you who are struggling right now to believe what I'm talking about and to really get on board with what I'm saying. And so I think there are really two questions that we need to address before the evening is over. And the first is this, what if I don't have any faith? What if I'm sitting here tonight and I'm like, that's, you're fired up, bro, good for you. I don't have any faith. The hard reality is that faith has a role to play in the progress of the kingdom. In fact, Jesus, he only uses a few metaphors for two different things, and one of those metaphors is the mustard seed. And you know what the two different things he uses that metaphor for? Your faith and the growth of the kingdom. He ties your faith and the growth of the kingdom together through the metaphor of the mustard seed. But I don't pretend to know how faith works or how it works in relation to the growth of the kingdom. But what I do know is that unbelief is safe because it almost always gets what it expects. If you don't have any faith, what we really need to talk about is where you get faith. Do you go like, I don't have any faith. I'm gonna try really hard to get faith. You're like, I don't have any faith. It's probably because I haven't been reading my Bible. I already feel guilty about that. And so out of guilt and shame, I'm gonna come and read my Bible. Please give me faith. No, you get faith by getting close to the one who's faithful. That's how you get faith. It's if I, it's, we've used this example before, but if I were to put a cologne on and you were to come give me a hug, you'd carry that scent with you for the rest of the day. It's taking each moment every day to say, I, I do need faith in this day, so I'm gonna get close to the one who's faithful so that faith rubs off on me. This is why it's so important that we bring to mind the testimonies of God the stories of God. This morning, I texted Andoni, one of our elders. He's in Hawaii for Thanksgiving, tough life. Andoni, I'm sure you're listening to this. Hope you had a good time. Um, he, I texted him, I said, can you send me testimonies from what's been happening at our church? And he sent me this whole list of stories of people who have come down to the front, received healing, different things that have happened. Amazing things, like um, one woman have, ha had an um, issue with her back where a, a bone was out of place, and she felt the bone click into the right place, and her whole pain in her back completely went away. So, um, this is happening, this isn't like out there, this happened here. He wants to move here. Some of you, I just, I'm looking at you, I'm thinking, he wants to move here. Do you want, I don't know if you want him to move here, he's going to move here whether you want him to or not. See, for most people, closed heavens is between the ears. It's how we think. Most people set limitations on the kingdom based on their experience, but we're not experienced-based believers. Faith is choosing to simply take God at his word. Secondly, the second question that may be coming up right now is, what if you don't get healed? Or what if they didn't get healed? While we believe that it is God's will to heal, we recognize that not everybody gets healed. Why is that? You need to go back and listen to uh, the message that I did on good, God being good and that evil is a real thing and God is at war with the enemy and he's winning. But it's sort of like this. It's like the cross was like D-Day. 
There's a huge victory won, but how many of you guys understand that right after D-Day, there was a lot of battles fighting inland into France? The war was over, but there were some more skirmishes to be fought. We live in that in-between time. There was a, a, a decisive victory on the cross, and we now get to live with the same power that Jesus lived with, but there still are battles happening around us. Not only that, but every healing is temporary. People die. Not everybody dies in God's timing, and that's why you see Jesus raising people from the dead in the Gospels, but people do pass away. What you need to know for, uh, about us is that anything being possible or nothing being impossible, it's not just a theology we like to have, it really does actually hit close to home for us. Um, my wife, Emily, she was born with 30-degree um, curvature of her spine. She has scoliosis. And while it's not the worst uh, kind of scoliosis, it's been bad enough to keep her in chronic pain. Sometimes it's worse than others, but oftentimes her back is in an incredible amount of pain. And I, I, we, we talked about this, so I have her permission to share these things. But um, she, I remember we, she said, you know, I never thought about getting prayer. It's not cancer. I'm not dying. It's, you know, I can live with this, Right? And she said, but, you know, when I began to take the goodness of God seriously, and I began to look at the Gospels and realize that he's a good father who gives good gifts, it's in his nature to want to heal me. And she hasn't been healed yet. She's told me, she's like, I don't always understand why I haven't been healed, but Emily lives with a conviction of his character that no matter what, she won't change her mind on his goodness. And, and she'll come anytime somebody's like, has a word about scoliosis. She's at the front and receiving prayer. And uh, she's even kept her x-rays so that when she is healed, she can medically show the difference. Simply put, my wife lives with a faith that I want to encourage in us as a church instead of a settling that so many have become accustomed to. It's not that big of a deal. It's not, no, no, no. He didn't say, like, if it's a big deal on earth as it is in heaven. He just said on earth as it is in heaven. You know, our first value of our church is that God is good. And we want to become a place where God's goodness is put on full display. And so one of the things that I tell our prayer uh, ministry team is that we can't always guarantee that somebody gets healed when they come to the front, but we can guarantee that when we pray for one another or pursue healing for each other, that the person in front of us gets loved. And that should be our goal, that they get an encounter with the Father. And this is what we want to make room for this evening. So let's stand up together. We're going to respond to God. Um, the grave is empty and anything is possible. Anything can happen. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and to minister however he wants to minister. Let's pray.